Well, after all we've been through, we will never take the gathering together of the saints. I mean, it's just such a joy to be able to come together, and we'll never just take it for granted anymore, will we? Isn't that something? So if the Lord hasn't done anything else, he's put on our hearts how special it is to be with our family. And you guys, it's so good to see you here tonight. To see you here tonight. I remember the, the first time that we had to just broadcast and we couldn't have a live service. It was on a Wednesday night. And I remember looking around and there was nobody here except a couple folks in the sound booth. So what a, what a joy it is to have the privilege of being together. And we're going to start a new book tonight, Galatians. I'm going to give a little bit of background. And first thing to consider about the book of Galatians is Galatia is not a city, but it's a region. Okay? Um, we got the map up there yet? There we go. Okay? And then you look at that region, and you've got uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, uh, all of those uh, cities. And in every one of those cities, there were people who came to Jesus and churches were started. And so when this book was written, Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia. So keep that in mind as we look at this background a little bit. It was during Paul's first missionary journey. And you see uh, the journey that he took on the map there. They were born and established by Paul and Timothy and some others that were with Paul and Titus. And then they would go back and re-encourage, re-establish, disciple, and all those things. Well, we're going to look at just a couple things about that first missionary journey to give you an idea of why this book is so important and, in a sense, so explosive, so high tension, so... Um, so so full of tribulation throughout the, the whole book. But uh, if you have your Bibles and you would turn to Acts chapter 14, I'm going to look at a few verses there. I'll also have them up on the screen. But we're going to look at what, what, what happened in this area when Paul started preaching Jesus and sharing that Jesus was Messiah and that he was the hope of the world. So, Acts chapter 14, uh, if you remember on the map, that one town, I, Iconium. Well, in Iconium, a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. Now, it didn't happen overnight. It's just a snapshot of Paul's preaching and the Lord working and the Lord actually miracles taking place and authenticating the word that Paul was giving. A great multitude is exactly that. It's a great multitude. 
So much so that the Jews who didn't believe got really upset. You can imagine what happened. Well, it started happening. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brethren, against Paul. And Paul is speaking boldly in the Lord. And the Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace. There were signs and wonders that were done by their hands. The multitude of the city was divided. It's, it, there's just like right down the middle, some for, some against, and the tempers, it's, it's like the, the, the mob and protests and all of that's going on. You get that sense here. Part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. By stoning them, what they were actually hoping to accomplish was put, putting them to death, killing them, taking them out, stopping them from teaching about Jesus. I mean, this was, this was crazy. And they became aware of it, so they fled to Lystra and Derby. So they headed south. Now Lystra, when they got there, just a little bit of background, we're gonna, and we're going to look at verse 11 next. A man was healed in Lystra uh, who had been crippled from birth. He had never walked. And the Lord authenticated the words of Paul by this miracle uh, through Paul uh, touching this man and he became healed. And when the people, verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So, this, we'll assume this happened in the morning. So in the morning, the whole city is in an uproar because they think the, the, the gods have come to visit them. There's this miraculous healing. And Paul and, and Barnabas and others, they tore their clothes and they, they said, no, 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 we're not gods, but we know the one true God. And let us tell you about the one true God and his son, Jesus. And let us tell you about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they barely stopped the crowds from uh, worshiping them. And they started preaching the gospel of Jesus. And as they're preaching uh, the gospel, while they're preaching, the Jews who had tried to stoned them earlier, made their way down from Antioch and Iconium, and that's where we're at now in verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. They persuaded the multitudes, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him dead. So here's, here's the, how crazy things are in Galatia. In the morning, they try to worship them as gods. In the evening, they're willing to stone them. 
and they stoned Paul and they drug him out of town and left him for dead. I personally believe that the Lord, he was dead, and that the Lord said, no, not yet, Paul. I'm going to give you a glimpse of heaven. I think maybe this is when he saw heaven. I'm going to give you a glimpse of heaven, but I'm sending you back because i got more fish to catch, and I want you to be involved in it. Well, verse 20, when the disciples gathered around him, Paul rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So he's continuing on in the towns in Galatia. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, here again, before, remember, there was a multitude, now there's many. The Lord is just blessing the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And people are coming to him and they're finding life in Christ. Then they returned to Lystra. That's the place where he got stoned and drug out of town. Talk about brave. Well, they returned. And they said, you're not going to stop us from teaching the good news of Jesus. So they returned and they went to Iconium also and to Antioch itself where these guys came from that started they they tried to kill him they killed him the Lord raised him up and now they're going right back into enemy territory. Isn't that something? Well what what were they doing? Verse twenty two strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith. The minute Paul and Barnabas leave, though, you can imagine how these Judaizers, these agitators, those who had tried to kill Paul, imagine how fired up they are and how angry they are that Paul came back and kept preaching the good news. And all of these people came to know Christ. Some of them came to know Christ and began to join with the Christians and no longer were part of the Jewish celebration. So you can imagine the tension that's going on in this area of Galatia. So the minute Paul and Barnabas leave, back come the Jews from Antioch and Iconium and they're attacking the faith of these new believers with everything they've got. One pastor calls the book of Galatians an explosive letter. He goes on to say, I call it the mail bomb of the Bible. <laughs> and it's explosive in two ways because of, of the, the division and the fighting and the anger. But it's explosive in another way because with Paul's letter, it explodes and it it. It literally destroys the dangerous doctrines that they were trying to spread and threatening the faith of his new believers. It blasts away the spiritual bondage that the Judaizers were trying to lay on these believers. And it left behind a fallout of love and of trusting in Jesus and finding a, a peace in Christ even through all the turmoil that we're seeing taking place in Galatia here. 
So, with that in mind, that's how the Galatian church started. A lot of turmoil. It doesn't go away. It's still going on. And those who hate the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're after these believers and they they want to stomp out the grace of Christ. So, here we go. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches, all of the churches, all of the cities in Galatia. Okay, now you know the picture. Typically when Paul would write a letter or an apostle, there's two ways. Like to the Romans, the Philippians, to Titus, to Philemon, to Timothy, he gave, I'm a servant. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But then to like the Corinthians and the Ephesians, the Colossians, Galatians, he presented himself, no, I am an apostle. I am a sent one from the Lord Jesus Christ himself on And I am here to let you know what Jesus wants you to know. And he took on the authority to those who who wouldn't listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took uh, those who challenged his authority. He says, this is not me. It's not about me. It's about the one who sent me. Let's look at Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one from him. And the Judaizers were vehemently opposing Paul and his message, the message of grace. They tried to kill him twice. They thought they succeeded, but the Lord raised him up to continue to do the work of the ministry. So you see, even in this opening verse, this letter, the fact that Paul says, I'm an apostle, I'm a sent one right from Christ himself, He's, he's coming at these Judaizers who are trying to say uh, we, there's more to it than just Jesus. There's the three R's of religion, rules, regulations, and rituals. They sought to undermine the ministry of just grace alone, Christ alone. And they did this by attacking Paul's message. The Judaizer came and would Uh, would ask, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. So do I. But there's got to be more to it than just believing in Jesus, you see. Really? Then how's a man saved, I would ask them. And the Judaizer would say, well, you have to believe in Jesus, yes. And you've got to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. And you must keep the sacraments of the law, the rules, the regulations, and the rituals. Today, those who undermine the simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace, they come and, and they say, well, yes, uh, we, we believe in Jesus and you have to join our church. 
Or they'll say, we believe in Jesus and you're going to have to sell magazines. Or we believe in Jesus and you're going to have to earn the right to wear holy underwear. It's, and whenever you see the and in conjunction with believe, you know that very possibly you're dealing with a modern day Judaizer. But what did Jesus say when they asked him, what kind of works do we need to do to make sure that we have eternal life? Remember what Jesus said when they asked him that? This is found in John chapter 6. I'm reading from the New International Version. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. Do you see the S there? Works. We, we know that there's all these laws and regulations and we've been through all this religious teaching and all the things that we're required to do. How do we make sure that we do enough? And Jesus answered. He says, the work, period, one work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Who's that? Well, God the Son. The one work is to believe in me. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes, he has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over Past tense. The minute you believe, you put your faith in Jesus, you're his for eternity. The moment you believe, you're a child of God. You've crossed over from death to life. Put your trust in him. Keep focused on him. Open your heart to Jesus. He alone is that solid foundation, that basis. Well, he alone is eternal life. And he alone is the one connection between heaven and earth. And then Paul goes on, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those two are always linked together, grace and peace. And it's, as I understand it, without grace, there is no true peace in our hearts. And what is grace? Grace is defined like this as unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of the living God. A familiar acrostic, maybe you've seen this, most of us have, of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is free, but it, oh, was so expensive. Christ gave everything that we might be set free and have peace in our hearts. It's not because of anything that we do religiously, but because of what Christ, who he is, and what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary, that we have God's grace poured into our hearts. 
You don't need to go through rituals. You don't need to live under regulations. You can have the peace of God just flowing into you and through you, even in this day that we live in with all the turmoil that's going on all around us, all around the world today. You have peace if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. These are the words of Jesus. John 14:27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, or not as religion tries to give, do I give you, and let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In Philippians 4, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So now Paul's going to take the grace and the peace And he's going to really zero in on, I want you to make sure you know exactly where that comes from. There's one place and only one. So we look at verse 4. Grace, peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. See, it was God's will, his choice, God the Father, God the Son, it was his will, his choice, that he would come to this earth, that Jesus would take on humanity's flesh and blood, become one of us, become fully God, but fully man, so that he could take our place for the punishment of the sins that I've done. He would take my place, and my sins would be put on his shoulders, that his righteousness could be freely given to me and to you. And through that, he delivers us from this present evil age. And that was God's purpose, God's will. And he was chosen to be the Lamb of God, slain even before the foundation of the world. And God knew the cost of creation and creating us in his image. And Christ knew the cost. He was the creator. And the cost was that he would have to give himself. And he chose to do that. So when God the Father placed this world in the custody of the, of the first two, Adam and Eve, and then, you probably know the story, Adam bombed, <laughs> and the fallout of Adam's sin and Eve's sin left this present world uh, under the destructive power of sin and death. And the reason the world is so messed up today and perverted is because when they rejected God, God and went out on their own, it opened the door for Satan to step in and to, and to take a foothold in our present world system. Romans chapter 8 gives a little bit of a picture of, of how God's creation reacted when that happened. Against its will, Romans 8, all creation was subjected to God's curse 
the curse of sin and the death and the destruction that it brings. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in the glorious freedom from death and decay. If you're a child of God, death and decay has no hold on you anymore. Why is that? Because the moment you step from this life into death, you step right into eternity with the Lord. Paul said what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we've been set free. Yeah, we're still dealing with the curse and all the stuff around us, but oh, the peace that we have through Christ who lives in us and lives through us. And someday, all of creation is going to join with us and be set free. For we know, verse 22, that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So if you, go, if you go out into the mountains of Colorado and the beautiful mountains and all the stuff that we were able to see, if you listen really carefully, you can hear the groaning. You can't. Because it's just not right yet. And always looking forward to the day when it's made right. It's true that God places perimeters around Satan. But as we move towards the end of the ages, Satan is, is, is going to be doing more and more and there's going to be more bizarre things taking place. And Jesus said, that's what's going to be happening when you see these things taking place. Uh, as it was in the days of Noah. There was violence, there were sexual aberrations, some things that we don't even understand that the Bible talks about there. And as, as it was in the days of Lot, the, it was just permeated with, with strange sexual behavior. So it will be in the last days, Jesus said in Luke 17. Are we not seeing that all around us in our world today? But Paul is saying, back to the good news, Paul is saying, the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He himself, our God, came and became one of us so that he might go to the cross and bear the sins of humanity and take the penalty for sin upon himself to set us free. And that's, and that's what Paul was saying. He's... he's Delivered us from the confusion, from the chaos, from the hopelessness, from the captivity of this present evil age. Folks, those that know Christ, we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. It's just that simple. The best is yet to come. Say, And it's not very far off. And so... Paul is just, he's just so encouraged that Christ himself, the good news that he has to share, he just kind of explodes with this next verse, verse 5. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, to whom be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. You can just hear Paul. Amen. We're in good shape. Even with all this going all around us. We're okay. And Paul was so excited about sharing that good news. I'm convinced that we're on the verge of of witnessing, maybe even being here the moment the trumpet sounds and our name is called. And he goes, hey, tornado, work your way up here. Come on up. It's time for you to come and be with me. And then we move into that great tribulation period that we talked about in the in the book of Revelation. And then Christ comes and we have a thousand years of rule and reign on this earth with a perfect, righteous King, King Jesus. And the world is going to be such an incredible place when King Jesus is in rule. And then Satan is loosed one more time, but then we move into eternity. And to him be glory forever and ever. Because through all of this, Paul says, we've been delivered from the jaws of this evil age. Even right now, even though we're living in the effects of, of death and, and problems and, and Satan doing his thing, we have the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, don't we? And the world can't take that away. So, as we move to verse 6, why wouldn't Paul be just absolutely blown away, dumbfounded, astonished? Why wouldn't he marvel that they were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace to a different gospel? He's going, that just blows my mind. Here you understood what we have in Christ, this present evil world and all that's going on and on and we have the peace of Christ and we know we're going to heaven and the best is yet to come and you're letting these guys rock your boat? You're letting, letting them start to knock the foundation out from under you of the grace of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you? He says, I can't believe it. I can't believe that you're moving to a different gospel. And, and verse 7, it starts, which is not another. In other words, it's not another gospel. It's not good news at all. The Judaizers were the so-called, they called themselves the really spiritual men. And they came on the scene in Galatia and they said, well, it's great that you're born again and you know Christ and all that stuff, but that's just the beginning. You believe in Jesus? Well, it's not that simple. If you really want to be saved, then you must also follow the law. In particular, you've got to be circumcised. You must show that you're serious about this religion by inflicting pain upon yourself. And Paul says, I can't believe it. I marvel that you guys in Galatia are so soon turning away from him. Do you see that in that verse? You're turning away from Him 
You're turning away from God the Father who sent God the Son. You're turning away from God the Son who came and who himself became our sacrifice. You're turning away from Jesus. Notice Paul's not saying you're just turning away from doctrine uh, about grace, but you're, you're turning away from the person who is grace. And grace is Jesus. And Jesus is grace. There are some, verse, in verse 7 as we go on, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel, the good news of Christ. Those who were bringing a, a different gospel to the Galatians, they were bringing trouble. And that's what Paul is saying. They're, they're just, they're, they're bringing trouble. They didn't advertise that we're bringing trouble. Their advertisement was, oh no, we're trying to, to make sure that you're really saved and that you do what it takes to be saved. But false gospels, uh, when they come, they bring trouble. And people bring the false gospels. And Paul's saying these people, they're knowingly, on purpose, they're perverting the truth of the grace that is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this, Note the resourcefulness of the devil. Heretics do not advertise their errors. Murderers, adulterers, thieves disguise themselves. So the devil masquerades in all his devices and activities. He puts on white to make himself, he puts on the cloak of religion to make himself look like an angel of light. But all he brings is trouble. Capital T. Trouble is the result. And Paul is emphatic about his warning about such a person. Paul doesn't care who that person might be or who he claims he is. There's no political correctness that Paul's worried about here. So here he goes. Verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven. Angel comes and sits on the foot of your bed and has a different gospel. Take your covers, throw them up over him, and you get out of there. <laughs> Take off. If they preach any other gospel to you than which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. Forever. But if we are an angel, Paul doesn't care who brings a false gospel. He says, if I bring a false gospel that's not according to the gospel of the grace of Jesus, do not listen to me. Get away from me. It's perverted. F.F. Bruce points this out about what Paul was saying. He said, the gospel preached by Paul is not the true gospel because it is Paul who preaches it. Okay? Let that sink in. 
Just because Paul said it doesn't necessarily make it true. He says it is the true gospel because the risen Christ gave it to Paul to preach. And Paul is being faithful to the living Christ. And that's what makes it our foundation and our truth. Take note the seriousness of Paul's heart. It wasn't enough for him to say, don't listen to these guys. It was more than just not listening to them. Paul soberly stated through the leading of the Holy Spirit that anyone who brings a false gospel should be accursed. He goes on in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Again, Paul says, a person, a prophet, a preacher, an angel, says, I don't care if, he, if he's not preaching about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he should be accursed. Paul repeats, how, how could there be any greater emphasis than what he's saying here? It's impossible for Paul to express it with any more seriousness than he did. Now someone might ask, and it's probably fair, well Paul, where's, where's your love for these guys? Because <laughs> he asked for a double curse on people who want to pervert the gospel, spread a false gospel. He doesn't, he doesn't just ask God to curse their message. He asks God to curse them, person or angel. Where is his love? Best answer that I can come up with is this. Paul's love is for souls who are in danger of hell because of the perversion that these guys are bringing. If a message is false, if it's perverse, if it's not good news at all, then it can't and it won't save anyone. Illustration to think about. I want you to just picture this in your mind. This glorious ship. And you're on this ship and you're in the middle of the Atlantic and you hit something and it springs a leak and the designer of the ship himself is on the ship and he's saying, you know, if we just get everybody to grab a bucket and to start, you know, taking the water and pouring it out, we can save this ship. We can keep this ship afloat. Well, I want you to take a look at that ship. Is that good news? You see the ship? That's not good news. Well, what was the good news if you were on the Titanic that night? The good news would have been, we have lifeboats. That's good news. Everyone who gets in a lifeboat will be saved. Now, my illustration breaks down, doesn't it? Because they, had, they did not have nearly enough lifeboats. But let's go back to Paul. 
The ship is sinking. All creation is groaning under this ship that's sinking. We're going down. But Paul says, I have good news. Jesus Christ himself is our lifeboat. And all you have to do is be in Christ and just believe in him. And the good news about Paul's good news is that there's a lifeboat for anyone who wants to get in. How do I know? Because the Bible says in Romans 10 and John 3, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's room for anyone who wants to get in Christ and be saved forever. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes, whoever believes, should not perish but have eternal life. So let's just close with this good news that Paul brings. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep these folks safe from those that are trying to pervert the good news about Jesus. Good news, says Paul, Jesus. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Today, here, right now, we're rescued because the peace that passes all Understanding floods our hearts when we come to Christ, no matter what's going on around us. And then, if Christ hasn't come yet, and it's time for the Lord to call us home, we step from this life, one step, right into eternity. And the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul. What a, what a courageous guy he was. All that he put up with in the region of Galatia. Literally uh, hated and stoned and left for dead. But that wouldn't stop him. He just, Lord, as you raised him up, he, he went on and then he even went back to encourage those that gave their hearts to you. Lord, help us to be as courageous as Paul was, both in our walk with you through this world that's so broken, to courageously just be filled with your peace and, and what you have for us right here, right now, but courageously face the future and to know that because of you, heaven is our home. Lord, help us to encourage one another through these times that we're going through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being courageous. You've got to be courageous to come to church anymore, don't you?